Coming to you pre-recorded from a cramped closet in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a New York City apartment far too close to the street. It's your favorite millennials with too much time on their hands. Welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast Season 2. I, the voice you are currently listening to, am TJ Patrick, joined as always by my loving friend and co-host, Trevor Catalano. Oh, so you weren't going to do like a whole like uh, Curtis, uh, Curtis to my Edgar kind of thing. Yeah, that's what I was uh, before I before we recorded. That's why I was like, uh, uh, yeah, I don't really think you need one for this. Like, nah. (laughs) Am I the Mr. Park to your Mr. Kim? Uh, no. <laughs> I love how he's like, I didn't really put character names to their faces. It's like, no, but I know the names, but it was just like, okay, wait a minute. I have to, because some of them are like also fake names. So I have to kind of like remember, like, okay, wait a minute. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, Kevin and Jessica. and Oh my God. So. Uh, if you're not familiar, if somehow you randomly clicked on this without, uh, looking at the title, we're going to be talking about Bong Joon-ho today, uh, and it is May. It is the beginning of, uh, Asian American Heritage Month, so we are going to be, uh, for most of this- Pacific Islander to that. Yes. Uh, and for most of this month, we are going to be focusing on, uh, Asian films, uh, by Asian directors, you know- the classics and stuff like that. Uh, we're going to be for people that might be more versed in that topic. We might be kind of scratching the very top of that surface. That's also just because, you know, like we're talking about like a white guy and a black guy from Chicago. Like, you know, we, we can only get so deep. So, you know, we're starting with the things that kind of make sense for us to start with, you know, today we're, talking about Bong Joon-ho, which, you know, was it, was it last year or was it two years ago? Yeah, 2020s. We're filming this right before the right before the 2021 Oscars where Minari is is nominated and I haven't seen it yet, but I want to. Um, and last year, um, uh, Parasite won just before the pandemic, won Best Picture. And it was the first ever uh, foreign language film to win Best Picture um, in the United, you know, the obviously the United States based the hev- Awards, heavily so. biased, you know, yeah, heavily yes. biased Academy Awards. Um, so it makes and sense. This might be our first best picture of the show. Um, I mean, yeah, we haven't done Lord of the Rings yet. Yeah, which would have been the like Black our Panther little Rob, which would have been our cheat. I nah, I would not put. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, today we're doing uh, Bong Joon-ho, we're talking about Snowpiercer and Parasite, and originally we were going to do a third film, but Trev decided against it? Yeah, we were going to do Okja, but like, Okja is the hardest one to get through, and the, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, I've been pushing for this for actually quite some time. Since the beginning. Um, yeah, because I wanted to do Parasite. Um, I wanted to talk about Parasite, I think it's a fantastic film. Um, and TJ was like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, well, we'll, we'll do, we'll do him as a whole artist. Cause he's got like this nice trilogy that like kind of explains his style. And then I watched Oakja and I went, yeah, we don't need this. <laughs> we are planning to talk about with the other two. 
and this one's the hardest one to get through. It's it's all about like, um, you know, the suffering we bring upon intelligent animals and yada, yada, yada. But also it's just it's just weird. There's like a whole slaughterhouse scene and stuff. It's like it's a lot. And so I was like, you know, it's fine. We can talk about the other two. And to clarify, I only kept pushing uh, this back because it always made more sense for something to go before this. So I was like, like trying to find where was a good time to even do something like this. And as we're definitely going to get into later, these types of movies aren't going to be the best types of movies for me to talk about specifically. So it was also that thing of like, all right, I know I'm going to, it's like talking about horror movies with me and I'm, I've gone on record as going like, you know, I'm just not a horror movie guy. So me talking about horror movies is like, uh, okay, there's only so much I can really say. Yada, yada, yada. We'll get to that later. Um, well, yeah, these are not exactly character focused movies. They're very much like theme and plot and well, like, We'll get to it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so, but obviously before we get into all of that, there is the big elephant in the room that we need to talk about, uh, that we as a nation need to talk about, really. And look, we on the Red Team Reviews podcast, we have never shied away from talking about politics on here. Like, we are going to talk about this shit and we are going to talk about it seriously, and it's going to be a little uncomfortable, but it should be a little uncomfortable. Just like when we talked about Black Lives Matter, like it was hard to talk about. And it was very personal to me specifically for obvious fucking reasons. And even though this is not my culture exactly being you know affected, it is still like I feel that. Obviously, it is still like a thing that I can absolutely you know, relate to uh, as somebody who is very proudly a black American who has seen so much bullshit just even, even just recently, even just in the year 2021 current year argument, there's been so much fucking bullshit and it's really unforgivable and just really unacceptable. All of the atrocity, all of the atrocious hate crimes, and let's call it what they are. They are hate crimes. All of the things that Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders have to go through in America in general, but now especially with coronavirus and Trump's fucking gross behavior in trying to trying to set up every single Asian American to what bear the blame of this entire ordeal that he himself exacerbated and made worse. And it's just, it's despicable. It's deplorable. All of the actions are utterly disgusting. And I would say this needs to stop, but that's just fucking common sense. You don't need me to tell you that this is awful and we, it needs to stop. Like, that should go without saying. It should. It should go without saying. And it's just, you know, we use this as an excuse, you know, this 
this month, you know, this month lined up pretty unexpectedly for us to talk about Asian culture through these movies. And it also lines up in a way for us to say this exact sentiment at the very start. We took a break. We decided to come back uh, now. But also, we did want to say this even a couple weeks ago. Even at the time of recording, which is obviously before this is coming out. We wanted to say something like a couple weeks ago. And we're saying it now. We're using what little platform that we have to publicly denounce these awful, horrific things that have been going on in this community for far too long before this. And just now recently it's been, it's had a a spotlight shown on it. And really it's just, yeah, I don't need to tell you it's unacceptable. Nobody needs to say it. But apparently we do. Because the shit keeps fucking happening. And honestly, I'm sick and of And like, you know, for for everybody who more or less just kind of... There, there's this interesting habit about just kind of like tuning tuning things about Asian Americans out. It's almost it's almost like there's this filter that a lot of us have had preset where it's like when it's when it's a black-white issue, we turn on just slightly more. But then when it's like it, when it's about Asian Americans, it turns off. But just like just understand like how how this is affecting, you know, Asian Americans. Like I, I have friends and friends of friends who are starting to have like subway buddies who, who, you know, non-Asian subway buddies to make sure that nobody fucks with them. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not like this is only happening in, in like Atlanta and Kentucky and yada, yada, like it happens in New York city. It's disgusting. It's gross. It is taking out an economic anxiety that, uh, a leader has blamed a country for rather than the economic powers that uh, prefer that country. Um, and then people then over incredibly generalizing all of East Asian, uh, you know, diaspora um, and then taking that economic anxiety and cultural anxiety out on that person. And, and that's that's what's happening. And so it's just it makes no sense. It makes no sense to me. That's because racism is not supposed to make sense. That's true. That's the number one thing that, you know, again, kind of generalizing, but in a large amount of, you know, films about race written by, you know, written by white people, it is kind of a thing of like, they tend to think racism is this thing that can be logicked into, like, they can explain it. And it happens for X, Y, and Z, and that's why people are racist. And no, racism is is in is illogical. It goes, it's emotional. Racism is a thing that is taught. Nobody is born racist, and it's just it's a it is just a utter virus upon humanity itself. It's been said numerous times. It's just like like. <sighs> I find myself getting frustrated because it's like I can only in so many ways so eloquently say the exact same fucking thing, which is that I'm goddamn tired of it. We're all tired of it. I mean, it doesn't even matter what walk of life you come from. We should all be pissed off. We should all be upset about this. About this, The fact that we even have to build awareness at all 
the fact that we have to convince people to be empathetic at all just goes to show how fucked we are as a as a race, as a species. So I mean, there's going to be we're going to look into this and with the post uh that we're going to put on social media, we're going to give links to places you can uh, look at to support and donate and, you know, all that great stuff if you choose to do it. Again, we don't have a huge reach. We don't have a huge audience, but, I mean, we're doing something. This is this is what we can do, honestly, as just, you know, two guys who are just, you know, two guys in their late 20s trying their best like this is just this is what we can do and this is what we're going to do so again once this goes up there will be uh links to places you can check out and donate and all that stuff so uh, there just gets there just gets a point you always get to a point where it's just like I'm just sick and tired of having this conversation it's a tiring conversation. Not that I don't want to talk about it, but in the sense of like, nothing's changed since the last time we had this conversation. It's the same conversation. When you talk about Black Lives Matter, when you talk about, you know, stop the Asian hate, it's like, we should not have to tell you to have empathy for one another. This isn't movies, you know, where I will consistently, I have on this podcast probably and will continue to say that like no you can't just expect me to have empathy for a character you need to build empathy for a character you need to make me care about a character this isn't fucking movies people don't fly people don't live through like like multi-story footfalls and shit and they can't punch through walls this isn't fucking fiction this is real life care about people damn it anyway so to bridge to just to sort of bridge these topics a little bit, let's talk about actually something that is somewhat positive in the community that happened very recently, actually. It happened, like, at the time of recording, like, two days ago. Yep. Which is uh, the first Marvel movie, the first MCU movie that is being led by an Asian-American actor. Um, or just an Asian actor. I don't know, actually. Um, no, he's, he, yeah, he's he's Chinese, uh like nationally okay. so he's not he's just just asian he's just chinese not even chinese american and a lot of people really loved the uh trailer it was very well received uh i personally was intrigued by it shang chi is uh or shang chi shang chi shang chi um is a character that i'm not very familiar with but i am very open to like yeah he seems seems cool um and you know, it was a t- it was a typical MCU trailer. It gave me Black Panther vibes. I mean, yeah, that's the thing is that like Black Panther, I think, is almost easier in a way to to bridge that gap to an American audience uh, because it, 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 we we more often see, you know, it's only been what the past like five years where we see like uh, you'll always be my maybe and things like that where it's like oh Asian led like rom-coms and things like that where it's like we're only just now seeing or crazy rage agents um you know and so i think that this is going to be 
I, I'm really glad with, with what they seem to be doing with it because I Shang Chi is much like the Mandarin and much like uh, you know the Ancient One. Some of these characters from early Marvel that are steeped in a poor history, um, mm-hmm. and so like you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of poor history in in comic books when it comes to race um, and gender. Like you know, Carol Danvers was a uh, you know a damsel in distress for many years in the comics without actually giving her agency. And so I'm really glad that they're going out of their way to do like the whole like you had 10 years to live your life. And like he lives his life like he has friends, He you know, he lives in San Francisco and uh, we get to see him as this character rather than just this. I am who I am and I am warrior from China, which is definitely what the comics more or less implied for a long time. I'm also glad that they got rid of the bowl cut because the character has a bowl cut like Jet Li um uh in in the comics for all of his iterations and i'm like all right cool let's let's remove that stereotype um so yeah i mean i'm excited you know it's the first uh first the bit that we're even seeing about it and it's really not telling us all that much and it definitely feels like the first film in a long time where it's like this is disconnected from all these other stories and i'm looking forward to seeing this character have his own world before you know before inevitably like Madripoor was mentioned in Falcon and the Winter Soldier before like those things start crashing into his world. Um, you know, really kind of having that very first fresh breath since honestly, since not even Ant-Man, Ant-Man was connected. They kept saying Stark, Stark, Stark. So like since Captain America, like the first time that it's truly disconnected from everything else. Well, Guardians was kind of, I guess, yeah. But, I mean, that's kind of cheating. Because even then, they still play... Yeah, because Thanos, obviously, yeah, is in it. So, But um, one thing I will say uh, that is only tangentially... Well, two things that are tangentially related to the uh, trailer. First off, apparently they dropped it on uh, Simulu's birthday. <laughs> cool. And that was, that was nice. That was just a nice thing that they didn't really have to do. <laughs> and he freaked out accordingly. He was like, "But I, what? What?" <laughs> he was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> uh, and a lot of people heaped a lot of love on it, and it was really great. But of course, fucking Twitter being Twitter, you know, a lot of people use that as an excuse to get anything to shit on this guy. And I'm just like, "Can we stop? Yeah, can we not with this?" With, like, with this specifically, and it's, like, just filling the comment section with just awful, awful things on Twitter, and it's just, like, well, yeah, not the comment section, but just Twitter. Um, It really just speaks to what we had said earlier. It's just, like, I don't know why I have to tell you to have empathy for other people. I don't know why you don't just have that. That's a you problem. Stop making it a thing we all have to deal with. On a, on a brighter note about the internet, did you see all the little uh, theories that the the uh, do a flip guy is in the is supposedly in the bus? I mean, it does look like him. It does look like him. I don't know if it, I don't think it's him. I'm sure there's plenty of guys who look like that. Um, it'd be amazing if he was. It would be amazing if he even said to Shang-Chi, do a flip. Um, 
Which is also kind of racist. No, 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 um, no, no. I think if anything, they'll they'll do the thing of like they get off the bus all shaken, and he's like, "Did you see the flip that guy did?" <laughs> That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> I want I want that guy to just be the new uh, the new Stanley. Of but let's the not call it cinematic the, universe. Let's not call it the new Stanley because that's just gonna set him up for. <laughs> He's a watcher. He's a watcher is what he is. <laughs> <laughs> and he and and then we see him in a later scene with the watchers and he's like, "Ah." Oh, and then like and then uh Sam Wilson did a flip. <laughs> I want the flip guy. Like, they I want they it. drag him into like a, li- other... a live interview and he's like, "I didn't see much, but I saw him do a kick-ass flip. That was awesome." <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, there's also people saying that behind him is John Mulaney, and I'm like, no. No. We would have known <laughs> if John Mulaney was in the Marvel Cinematic Also, Universe. that's just too much. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right. What are you going to do? Is that like, is that like a favored Aquafina? <laughs> do they have a connection that I don't know about? No, but oh. I mean, like, they're comedians. That's all. Oh, okay. That thing. Um, but I mean... All in all, it has some of the kind of tired MCU trappings, and I'm like, okay. (laughs) But other than that, like, I do like that they are at least kind of stepping into slightly new directions, like with this being, you know, more of a martial arts movie, and, you know, apparently the Doctor Strange movie is going to be more of a horror movie, and... Uh, all the shows apparently have like you know widely different vibes and uh, genres and things like that. And I of course have watched none of it because I'm already watching a show a month for you people. <laughs> okay, our next show for this month is ten minute episodes. Suck it up. Watch the shows. Wow. Wow. Suck it up. Suck it up. Wow. I'm telling you, I'm not feeling heard right now. The fact that I can't talk to you about Falcon and the Winter Soldier upsets me. I mean, honestly, I don't really have even that much passion to go watch it. You should. The only show that remotely is kind of piquing my interest a little bit is maybe Loki. But it's more of a thing of like, (sighs) that seems more like a kind of monster of the week, kind of like episodic thing even though i'm sure it's probably not really gonna be that it's still gonna have a long arching story um but i don't know and then also eventually whenever we take our other break i'm gonna be watching a shit ton of shows for other reasons um (laughs) that i will not get into now um so yeah i think that's enough stalling (laughs) um we're going to get right into this. So we're going to be talking about Snowpiercer and Parasite, and it makes sense to start with Snowpiercer. And this is a movie that... People made fun of this movie when it came out. Yeah, people made fun of this movie because they didn't fucking get it, and they didn't, they didn't want to it. get it. <laughs> like... No, I truly believe people didn't watch it. I mean, I remember when I first hear, heard about it, they're like, Chris Evans is doing a movie where he's on a train that doesn't stop. I, I mean, like... I don't think I ever thought it sounds well. I mean, this is going to be a, the thing going forward for both of these things, both of these movies, and really, also just any other movies that are remotely like this. It's just, it's not to say that I can't watch more serious movies. I can, 
I'm the asshole that, you know, really loves Brick. Like, <laughs> like a movie that nobody's fucking heard of, and it's like this indie flick, and it's Ryan Johnson's first movie, and, you know, all this fucking shit. And, like, so it's not like I can't get into, like, slightly more serious movies or slower movies or quieter movies. Um, you know, we're gonna eventually talk about Studio Ghibli, so, like, those movies definitely have more of this type of style, but Studio Ghibli does it in a way that it's like, I can actually, like, really engage with this and I really love it. Snowpiercer and Parasite are fighting uphill battles with me because it's the type of series that doesn't quite have a lot of room to be, like, fun in any way. Um, and that was really, even when it first came, even when Snowpiercer first came out, that was mainly the reason I didn't see it was just because it was just like, I mean, yeah, seems like, you know, drama, action. Yeah, whatever. Uh, what's Pixar doing? (laughs) Which is typically, yeah, which is, which is my thing. Um, it's much easier to sell me on shit when it's animated. (laughs) Well, that just kind of makes you a little bitch, all right? Um, wow. <laughs> wow. You need to grow, TJ. You need to grow as a person. Um, and you need to you need to learn how to watch these movies. If we're going to do a damn movie podcast. Um, learn how to watch these movies. I've watched the movies. I don't need to learn how to watch the movies. You need to learn how to watch the movies. Anyway. I did um, watch. I mean, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna <laughs> knock you for. I'm not gonna knock you for not watching Snowpiercer. I watched Parasite before I ever watched Snowpiercer, because um, I really was not interested in the premise. And apparently, it's like a French comic book. It now is a TNT show with Davi Diggs and Jennifer Connelly. Um, so, like this one, I, it's more so like you know we'll talk about like the overtones of that were in it since the comic book um, of like, but all of Bong Joon Ho's stuff is political um it's inherently political uh that he goes out of his way to make it political um you know okja obviously is more about like animal rights um which is why we kind of not why we kind of skipped it we're not going to sit here and be like animals no rights but also like i like beef um and so you know it's just (laughs) anyway um and so, you know, these two are a little bit easier to talk about comparisons in terms, especially of subtlety. Like there, this is one Snowpiercer is like high concept, like let's use this massive dystopia to talk about current socioeconomic situations. And then Parasite is like, this is let's heighten current real situations to 11. Um and let's be thoroughly plausible and then create this twist. Um, because like the parasite, every, every, all everybody was talking about when it first came out was the twist, the twist, the twist. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to watch and figure out what the twist is. Um, Snowpiercer is not that subtle. Um, you know, there, the only thing that's subtle about it is the use of language, which I think we can occasionally tune out when it comes to dystopian stuff, because we're so used to the dystopian genre that like, Sometimes when the higher ups speak, we kind of just go, ah, it's the higher up speaking. But no, like some of the some of the way they talk about talk about their status on the train is is subtle and, and purposeful. 
Um, but anyway, I, that's that's me getting into like the whole like why it's political um, stuff. So like, yeah, your what were your first like reactions to Snowpiercer after watching it? Uh, first, I just want to jump on one thing because some people have this idea that any art is not any art can be not political. All art is political. Um, yeah, that's true. Even apolitical art in being apolitical is political. Um, which that's a big being thing. Apoli- in, being apolitical is being complicit in current structures. That's a that's more of a video game debate. Like, oh my fucking god, that is the most one of one of the more annoying debates in video game topics of just like why do you have to be so political and we're all, all everyone with a brain is like all art is political also you're arguing that this fucking game about like taking back Washington DC is not political <laughs> You're talking about this thing where, like, oh, there was an uprising, and did you have a gun? That judged how well you survived. And I'm like, that is exceedingly political. <laughs> but, like, yeah, all art is political. But, uh, yeah, Bong Joon-ho is, even having just watched two movies, I'm like, yeah, he really leans into, like, this is going to be political. Deal with it. <laughs> Which is just like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I respect that. Um... And he writes, he writes and directs all his stuff. So like, you know, he, he wrote, he adapted Snowpiercer from the comic book to fit this. Um, so yeah, no, it's purposeful. <laughs> if you don't think it's purposeful or you write it off, then you're not paying attention or you don't want to. So yeah, Octavia Spencer's there again. Um, <laughs> um but to answer your question, uh, I didn't think anything about Snowpiercer was subtle. Oh, no. No, I'm not saying that was subtle. This is not a subtle movie. No. Um, That doesn't have to necessarily be a bad thing. Um, I will say, going into this movie, technically speaking, I was spoiled, but it's like I wasn't spoiled on the ending. This is why I don't really want to know anything about movies or shows that I know I might see in the future, because... I will never really know what my honest appear, uh, opinion of Snowpiercer would have been, but I went into this knowing it's a huge allegory, it's a very pointed allegory, the train is society, like, it runs and runs and runs until we finally decided to just dismantle the fucking thing, it's not about keeping it going or changing power, it's about fucking tearing the whole thing down, like, yeah, it's not really fucking subtle, so I went into that knowing that that was, like, the entire point of the movie, and so, yeah, it wasn't subtle, but then me knowing that going in was like, okay, yeah, it's, like, doubly not subtle, um... The, again, not a bad thing, but it's just a thing that I have to point out of like, yeah, I didn't know that going in. Um, as for the movie, I was thinking about this. Uh, I text Trevor uh, as I was like still finishing it. And I was just like, you know, for the first like maybe like 90 minutes or so, maybe a little less than that. I kind of didn't have a ton to say. It was just kind of like, okay, this is another action movie. It's sort of reminding me of something like The Matrix or something like that, where it has things to say, but it's also an action movie, and it's, you know, rising up against society and, you know, uh, all this stuff. 
And then, like, the last 30, 45 minutes happened, and I'm like, okay, wait. No, I do have a lot of things to say about this movie. Well, then, um, so so here's here's what I think we should actually do. is I, I think we should actually kind of go through this movie briefly. Um, sure. And then comment on it as I go. Because, like, cause like there, there may be plenty of people. It's not like some of our other MCU movies and stuff where it's like, ah, oh, you probably saw it. Um, you know, uh, basic premise, you get subtitles in the beginning. They release this chemical in the atmosphere, which is supposed to suppress uh, radiation so that, uh, you know, climate change is delayed and it ends up freezing the entire world. So there's this crazy guy who believes that the world should live on a train and he's this uh, tycoon. And basically people are like, well, I guess you're our only option now. So he builds a train that goes all the way around the world constantly. Um, and if it ever stops, then the heat goes out and they all die and they all freeze to death. And he separates the train into obvious allegories of the front is for the best people and the back is for the poor people. And they take the current structure of society and just put it on the train. And so we start with the people in the back. We start with Curtis, who's played Rick Chris Evans, and a couple other side characters, Edgar um, and Octavia Spencer's character. And they're being terrorized by, you know, the soldiers with guns to keep them in line. They all eat like rubbery protein blocks that we find out later are made from cockroaches, um, liquefied. And basically they're just slowly waiting for the day where they can, you know, make another uprising. There's like a hint that other uprisings have happened. And then one day they do. Um, one day they basically figure out that they don't actually have any bullets in those guns. They don't want to waste them on them. And so they're able to overtake the people. They take like the food carts and the prison carts and the, and the water carts. And they get, uh, the, they get this guy who's addicted to a, uh, a essentially industrial waste drug, um, called Cronol who is also the guy who designed the doors. And so he is essentially bribed with his daughter to open the doors in exchange for drugs. Um, and they make their way through it. They eventually encounter Tilda Swinton's character, who's like the regent of their area and they kidnap her. There's a whole incredibly violent scene um, in the, like on a, in a middle cart where they fight all the soldiers in like axe combat and, they have to go through a tunnel and the soldiers have night vision. So they have to light these torches and send them all the way up through the train to give them light to fight with. Um, and they end up in the nice cars where they get, you know, citrus and sushi and the kids are being given propaganda against the, uh, you know, against the people on the back so that the order is maintained. And they go through like the drug dens and, um, you know, the high class places eventually getting to the point where, um, you know, he gets to the front of the train. Most people have died along the way and it's just him, uh, Chris Evans character and the, the door opener. And they're finally having a heart to heart. We find out some things about Chris Evans backstory. Um, he meets the guy at the front of the train who's played by, uh, fucking, um, Ed Harris. Ed Harris. And, and, uh, wait, hold on, hold on. I just want to just say real quick because we had a, like, a little hiccup where we said Ed Harris. Um, I want to just say that I saw, like, from the, because, you know, they had, like, the really long shot where you can't see his face and you just see him from, like, kind of far away. I saw, like, what was essentially the silhouette of this man and I was like, that is Ed Harris. <laughs> that is Ed Harris. As somebody who saw the hours way before I should have, because I did not know enough about film to really appreciate the hours, like, I immediately was like, that is fucking Ed Harris. <laughs> I love Ed Harris. 
and man is great. And I was like, that is pitch perfect casting, by the way. <laughs> I did this. I, I saw this random show in New York where you like some of us sat on stage and then the rest were in the audience and he was in it. And I was just like, I'm so close to Ed Harris. It's so great. Um, Ed Harris basically says all the same kind of eugenicsy, keep everyone in line. Society can run bullshit. Um, you find out they've been taking children to replace parts that they can't remake. And so children are sitting in these like hot, sweaty capsules, uh, pulling gunk out of like rotators and losing limbs. And eventually he's just like, hi, I will give you my station if you stop the revolution. And Chris Evans goes, fuck that. And they blow up the the engine and uh, stop the train. Most of the people die. And then you find out that, oh, hey, the world's warming a little bit. So uh, the code breaker's daughter, or the door opener's daughter, um, takes one of the children out and starts walking into the snow. And that's Snowpiercer. So let's go through that. <laughs> First of all... I love how in the very beginning... <laughs> I love how in the very beginning that Curtis is deliberately slightly cleaner in his costuming so that when we're doing the whole lineup thing, it's like, oh, hey, there's our character. <laughs> I mean, also, he's, like, deliberately, like, the one standing up when everyone's yeah. sitting down. It's like... You know, pointed. He's doing it for a reason, but it's also like, okay, yeah. I mean, it's very pointed. <laughs> like, meet our hero. Uh, it is for a reason, though. I will say that there aren't. There are some moments later on where the blocking isn't motivated, where I'm just like, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you gotta wonder how hard it was to be like, we're in a train. How do we? How do we make it feel cluttered in a train, and film it? <laughs> Uh, the first thing I will say, the more, like, I think Edgar maybe talked or, like, was on screen for all of five minutes, and then I would, I just was blasted by a thought that tailed me throughout the entire rest of the time Edgar was a character in this movie. So about, you know, the next 25 minutes. Uh, <laughs> uh which is that, oh my god, if this was made today... It would still be with Chris Evans, but absolutely Tom Holland would be playing this fucking character. <laughs> oh I my knew where you were god! Going right as you started saying it, <laughs> I was like, "Holy yeah, shit! This is just Tom Holland before Tom Holland." <laughs> well, especially because of like the twist before, and Tom Holland would have been, you know, perfect. Out. Tom Holland is like two is like well, no, but he's also like three years younger than us. So like this came out in twenty thirteen, he would have been like early high school. Um, when this came out. Um, but no, it's, it's funny. Cause like, fuck, what was my thought? Um, he's the, the kid, the guy who's playing him seems like too old for like, he the does. reveal that they do later. It's like, Oh, cause the reveal they do later is that Curtis, there's a whole thing about like how, why Gilliam, their like old guy later in the back is, is their leader. And it's because one day when they were all cannibalizing each other, he decided, Hey, eat my arm instead of that child. Um, and people started following suit and Curtis never could. Curtis never could sacrifice his own body for everyone else. And the reveal is that the baby was Edgar, his best friend. And he was the man with the knife, uh, who was, and he killed his mom. Yeah. And he, and he killed his mom. And early on in the film, they keep asking like, do you remember your mom? Do you remember your mom? And so it's revealed that it's like, ah, I'm the one who killed her. Um, and then in the end of the movie, in order to save one of the children, he does sacrifice his arm. And so it's like, it's all thematically like, linked and everything like that but i just think that edgar is he's like too old to play that part he's like if you're supposed to be 17 don't look like you're 28 yeah which is doubly why like when i found that out, i was like 
So yeah, just like literally if you took Tom Holland today and just slotted him using CGI in this movie, <laughs> it would actually be pretty perfect. <laughs> yeah. Because also they make a point to be like, Curtis is 34, exactly. Which Chris Evans was probably 34 when he made it. Um, so yeah, uh, we meet a bunch of people in the tail of the, of the train. Um, there's a scene w- in which, uh, they take a dude's kid and he throws a shoe and his punishment is that they stick his arm out of the train until it's frozen solid and then they break his arm off. And then the movie ends with the last two survivors, assumedly, of the train walking out into the environment. And the whole big twist thing is that, like, you know, I think it's actually not that bad out there. And I know part of this. I'm not dumb. I'm not CinemaSins. I know part of this is because they stuck his arm out when they were going, like, full speed during the... Tr- like, and they let just left his arm out there going, who knows how many miles per hour, exacerbating They also it. say they're at a higher altitude, yeah. Okay, that that's also part of it. Good. Because I was like, it feels a little weird. We're f- demonstrating how deadly the outside is, and then not even a full 24 hours later... We are just like the end of the movie. It's just we're going to go out into the real world. And I was just like, didn't we just wait? Hold on. Didn't we at the beginning of the movie show that this was a bad idea? <laughs> um, but that is a thing of like. I will say there are certain points in this movie. I'm not even going to fucking dare call them plot holes. Fuck off. But there are things in this movie that sometimes hit my ear and I'm like, or I like, I see certain things happening and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not invested personally, but I'm with you. But this does seem a tad bit contrived. It does a little bit. It's like when the, like when the guy with the suit who's been tracking them down shoots, shoots a bullet through the turn or like when he wakes up, not dead. It's like, all right. Yeah, everyone's immediately dead when they seem to be dead, except for this one guy who doesn't even really do anything once he comes back. So why did he come back? What was the purpose of him coming back? And it's just like... And some things are a combination of editing and blocking. Like, there is uh, the scene of which um, they're in the spa, and that same guy... They catch he catches up to them and they deliberately like hide so they can like kind of get the drop on him slash maybe hide so that he just passes them. And there is the way that a scene is edited and blocked. It seems like Chris Evans could li- like because he's dealing with somebody else and Chris Evans literally has a gun and could just walk up behind him and shoot him in the fucking head. And they just don't and he, like. And I think that's when he kills that one kid that seems like a super big deal, but we never get literally anything about him. And for a second, I thought it was Dante Bosco. Oh, yeah, the kid with the torch. Yeah, the kid with the torch. For a second, I thought that was Dante Bosco, and I was about to fanboy the fuck out. I'm like, oh, my God, he's playing Rufio again. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I imagine maybe that's important in the comics. I don't know. 
I also think it's like worth noting where it's like, you know, there are really some really cool shots and some really like fun sequences in this movie. And like, it's definitely, it's so clear that this is Bong Joon-ho's first big budget international film. Um, this is like somebody took a chance. I mean, the Weinstein company, the Weinstein company took a chance Ooh. on a Korean, somebody who had only, yeah, I know. Um, but it took a chance on a, a, you know, a Korean director who, you know, they liked his stuff and gave him a big budget movie, but with an odd plot so that it's like, if it fails and you can't blame the studio. Um, and I think he succeeds, Take a you know, on me. I think he succeeds. I, and you know, it's, it's, it's all kind of laid out there in terms of like, you know, how this, <laughs> like how the little dots are connected for the movie. And so like, you know, while things are trite, I think that the, I think it does do a certain good job of setting up like the whole, like, this is the genre. And so we're going to play with it a little bit, even if it is a little contrite and it's a little bit, you know, suspending your belief a little bit because, hey, we're on a frozen train. Well, um, I literally mean in certain elements of like it's sometimes it's just blocking. Sometimes it's literally just like, why are you just kind of here right now? Or why aren't you moving right now? Or like, you know, it is tricky to do a lot of group choreography uh, mm-hmm. and avoid certain things. Like, there are so many times in that, I will just say blanketly right now, so many of this movie is a little overly brutal, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, I agree. Um, But the very brutal axe fight in that one train car, there are multiple times where I'm like, I feel like Chris Evans should be dead right now. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, there's a lot of that. <laughs> Also, I lose track of people very easily. Like, it's Mm -hmm. a combination of the editing and the shaky cam that they're definitely going out of their way to use. And sometimes it works because it's close quarters and it's chaotic and it's a good juxtaposition of because sometimes it's not shaky cam and then when certain things happen, it is shaky cam. And it's like there are good, really good moments in the movie but sometimes, even in those good moments, it's like, I th- this could have been a little bit better. Like, when yeah. the guy with the torch does go up and run with the torch, that could have been a really good moment, but I couldn't help but have the thought when he started, because it's like a really good scene of, like, taking the torch from the kid and running along the mechanism, and they're all cheering, and it should be this really great moment, but I couldn't help but think, like, okay, who is this? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I feel like this guy should have been better planted beforehand. Um, yeah, the only one who like we recognize in that sequence is the yeah, the guy, guy who arm. had his arm chopped off. Yeah. Uh, and then there's things like the school segment, which is a just a gigantic lore dump. And yeah, uh-huh. that would ordinarily be fine. Except the entire time, they're just sort of awkwardly standing in this classroom for what Mm -hmm. seems like 10 to 15 minutes. And, like, there should be every reason for them to move on after they can't find their kids. Right. Like, it's like, why are you lingering? (laughs) You have a... I don't know. Maybe there's, like, a level of disbelief. (laughs) I don't know. I know, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, there are moments where it's like... I feel like there you can you, like there's a better way to do this and certain things are a little contrived. 
Um, certain things are just like, okay, they kind of have to happen this way, so certain other things can happen this way. Um, and there are some moments that are, like, a nice, like, cathartic moment of, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when they're having sushi for the first time, and Chris Evans is like, no, 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 you fucking put that shit down. You eat this. You eat the fucking bugs. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> Which even I in that moment was like, really, Tilda? You're going to fucking eat the sushi with the catchers like nothing's wrong? <laughs> the thing is that like, the funny thing is that like, Tilda Swinton plays the CEO in Okja. Um, <laughs> and she also has, she has braces in that one. And I'm just like, what is it with Bong Joon-ho and Tilda Swinton with braces, with like fucked up teeth? I don't understand it. Um... <laughs> it's just like that's just a thing he likes he's like let's have tilda swinton but let's make her weird by fucking up her teeth um and i will say while we are still on tilda swinton uh very brutal murder by the way <laughs> i mean yeah there and i'm like i felt like i felt she was doomed in this moment too of just like i mean the fi- the scene doesn't really feel right if he doesn't do this because it's like, then it feels like it's not that big of a deal to Curtis. So it's like, I get why it happens, but it is still fucking brutal. It looks like he legit just shoots her in the fucking, like, like in the mouth, like in the face full on. And then it's hilarious when the troops come in later and they're like, Oh my God, it's Tilda Swinton. Check her pulse. And I'm like, she got shot shot in the face. In the face. (laughs) (laughs) It's like in the room where they go, wake up, Johnny. That's that's cops for you. I mean. (laughs) It was literally the room. It became the room for two seconds. And I was like, oh, my God. No. But, um, okay, so, okay, so after that, we have the spa scene, which she talked about, we have the scene where they're stealing all the chrono, which, okay, I need to point this out, because it's, it's distracting for me, the drug is called chrono, yes, which already is, like, it doesn't feel right in my mouth, like, there needs to be another syllable, and the reason that is, is Cronola. because, no, there is a game called crocodile. So every time I hear chrono, I want to say crocodile, and it is the most distracting thing in the world. It's nothing. It's not the movie's fault. It's not Bong Joon-ho's fault. But it is just unfortunate that I'm like, damn it! Like I can't stop thinking about crocodile every time you see say this one <laughs> very like plot-heavy element. <laughs> Honestly, my last note before all of my like, these are thematic things I want to point out is just that Yona, the daughter of the of the guy who opens the doors um, of the engineer, uh, literally just reminds me of that owl from Vine who's like drugs. No, no, we're fi- drugs. Like, like, that's her every time she's like, Chrono. <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking about. No. <laughs> Damn it. I mean, somebody who listens know what I'm talking about, please. We'll post it or something. I'll share it with you. We'll post it or some shit. I don't know. Like I even, I even, that's a good joke. I even was like, maybe we'll put it as the meme for the, but I don't think we'll have a meme for this. So it's like, uh, (laughs) 
whatever. Um, but okay, so also, yeah, there are, yeah, they're just adding to the thing. Like they're shooting at each other from across the train as it's looped. And I legitimately was looking at Curtis like, why are you sticking around? Why are you trying to shoot the most improbable shot? You're wasting an entire clip. And it's like... Yeah, seriously. (laughs) It's like, you're not going to make this shot. I can tell you that right now. (laughs) And it's like they have a moment where it's like they reload and then they just shoot one each. And they know they miss, and they know they can't shoot anymore, and they move on. And I'm like, I feel like that should have happened so much earlier. <laughs> <laughs> because they're li- they're just wasting so much bullets and time of just like, no, no, you're like, God, you know we can just catch up to them. You're like, no, 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 I want to make this trick shot. I know I can. It's <laughs> like, I thought you said you could do a kickflip. I can! I can! <laughs> oh, come on. You don't know that vine? Yeah, no, sorry. We're, we're, wow, so we're, we're one one. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're all tied I just, up. <laughs> I just sent you mine. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so okay. After that, they have. At first, I was a little annoyed because I thought they were stealing the chrono for no reason, and I'm like, you are literally getting Chrono every single time you unlock a door. You know he has more. Also, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to be successful in your mission and you're going to take over the entire train, in which case you can have all the Chrono you fucking want, or you fail and you die in the next five minutes. Why do you need 50 pieces of Chrono? And then it was revealed the Chrono is a bomb, and I'm just like... I mean, okay, but that's also why there are people chasing after you. So it's like you can't even. <laughs> it just it still creates like tension. So it's just like at that moment, all these things had already happened. Like so many people had fucking died, and then you just have these two people actively antagonizing more people. And I'm just like, no, stop it. <laughs> because honestly, like after they after they get past like the whole like gunfight scene. They're pretty scot-free all the rest of the way. Everybody else is drugged out and partying. Could have no problems. Which brings me to the most, like, the most egregious contrivance of the entire thing, which is that right at the end, for no fucking reason, Chris Evans <laughs> and the and the guy that opened, uh, nom- oh, God, hold on, I have it, I have it up. Like, they start fighting. Namgung, like Curtis and Namgung start fighting, fist fighting right at the fucking end. And I'm like, are you fucking serious? (laughs) And like, (laughs) it leads to like a point where they sit down and they have an exposition chat. But I'm like, did you really have to fight each other, though? That seems like the most... (laughs) Like, why did you even fight? Like, it wasn't even, like, a small tussle. It was legit. They were, like, trying to fucking beat each other's ass for, like, a solid two minutes. And I'm like, now is not (laughs) goddamn time. Now is not the time. You're, like, at the end. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, then we get the story. And this is where the thing I said earlier of, like, 
It's a little overly brutal. And I it comes back here of like it's one thing to have the reveal of like, oh yeah, we did some cannibalism. It was fucked up and I feel bad about it. It's another thing to go, yeah, I did some cannibalism. And by the way, babies are the best. And I'm like, stop. What are you doing? No. In no realm for no justification is that a good line. Stop it. <laughs> you are having too much fun talking about cannibalism. You can't have that much fun talking about cannibalism. No, stop it. <laughs> you, you, you can't. You're not allowed. <laughs> what the fuck? Is that allowed? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, I make a joke, but, like, it did kind of, like, get jerk me out of the movie for a second. I was like, well, you didn't have, you did not have to say that. You did not have to say babies were the best. And I'm just like, no. I refuse to accept that this is part of the movie. <laughs> Um, and then we meet Ed Harris, and the one thing fucking dude said was, don't let him talk. <laughs> and he literally just sits there and lets him talk. And I'm like, so Well, he's got what? a gun to Did his back. Just... I don't really know what you think he can do. Bum rush? Yeah, like, I'm like, he's at the, what has he got to lose at this point? He's at the end. <laughs> no, but, but it's it was the... just. But it's the it's the woman who opens the door with the gun. I know, but I'm saying like, you're telling me that this guy can overcome an entire train car of train car oh, right, of yeah. armed dudes with axes, but he can't overpower one person with one gun who doesn't even really. It's not like she's military trained, so it's like, all right. I mean, I'll again, I'll buy it, but like, it is kind of the it's more of a thing of like if. Gilliam didn't have that one line where he's like, just don't let him talk. Then I wouldn't care. It's because they have the one line of like, just don't let him talk. And he just does. He just lets him talk. Then I'm like, did you not listen to your mentor? <laughs> like, it's the one thing he said. <laughs> it'd be like if, uh, it'd be like if in A New Hope, Luke is about to stop using the targeting computer. And he's like, Nah, I kind of need it. <laughs> having too much fun. Um, <laughs> I really am. I'm starting to realize, I'm like, I'm having too much fun talking about this movie. Um, which, it is, I will say it's a little bit weird that it seems like Curtis is, at le is like definitely not going to kill old dude. And is only jerked back into wanting to murder this guy when it's revealed that, oh, Timmy's in the floorboard. And he's like reminding, oh, yeah, I hate you. And then he, <laughs> he punches him. I'm like, I know you're shooken by, you're, sh you're shaken by the uh, revelations and shit, but like, wouldn't that just make it worse? <laughs> like, wouldn't you just more? I'm like, now I wanna kill you. And then kill you again. I mean, there's steak. <laughs> there's steak. He doesn't, he doesn't even eat the steak. And I knew he wasn't going to eat it on principle. I was just waiting for the steak to be revealed as, like, human. I was just waiting. Oh, yeah, that would have been interesting. 
I, yeah. I was legitimately, I'm like, all right, we still haven't found the kids. Where are the kids? <laughs> Where are the kids? <laughs> and then we found the kids, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and I guess, unless I'm forgetting something, which I usually do, I usually always forget points that I want to make while I'm recording. Um, but overall, it's just kind of a downer movie, man. (laughs) A little bit like, yeah, well, I'm sorry. Woody didn't get his one true dream at the end of this movie there, TJ. (laughs) What is with you in Toy Story 4? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You just love shitting on Toy Story 4 in general and specifically. I really do. I really do. Um, I mean, no, there's just a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things that, that I, honestly, there are a few things that I just like want to throw out there because I feel like there's probably plenty of dudes and, you know, they're white dudes who watch this movie and are going to be like, yeah, burn the whole thing down. And I'm like, that's not actually what they're saying. Um, like restart. Sure. But like the argument is always that people will devour each other without order. Like, I think there's probably plenty of people who get through this movie and then listen to Ed Harris and go, oh, yeah, you're right. And I'm like, well, no, fuck you. Like, you mean like, the, devou- you mean like Infinity War? Right, exactly. It's the same Thanos apologists um, where Ugh. it's like it's always like, oh, without order, we'll devour each other. It's like, no, without order, we'll devour you. Without your order, we will devour you. We're already devouring each other over here. It's not working. Um you know, just the bullshit that he says where it's like, it's noisy and lonely in my station. It's like, this fucking stupid. Maintain a level of anxiety and chaos. It's like, yeah, that tracks. Um, like the epitome of like just the, the most white privilege. Yep. Of just like, have you ever been to the tail section? He's like, hey, my section isn't great either. Like, it's noisy, man. Like, fucking, like, you know. Yeah, and then he turns around and he's Nobody's like, when around? was the last time you were alone? Okay, you get to be alone for a right. moment. It's like, you're no, enjoy you're a taste of my privilege. Yeah. Enjoy exactly. a taste of my privilege. And they're like, oh, 74% of the back will die in this, and that's what'll keep the population control. And I was like, why is the price always higher for the people who are poor? <laughs> why don't you do it? Honestly, Thanos would be a relief in this moment where it's like, yes, indiscriminate. Uh, like, like uh, a good percentage of the entire car will die. Hell, even Hunger Games is a little bit more even. <laughs> right, exactly. It's just like, it's, it's, well, and I think it's also worth noting where it's like, this is a great metaphor for something that's really happening, which ironically, when this came out in 2013, was more or less just like a, a theory. But it's like, no, Elon Musk is the epitome of like elite escapism in the face of climate change, where it's yep. like, yep, the elite will the elite will go into their bunker. They will make sure that everyone else stays out and that they will be catered to um, because it doesn't actually matter to them because it doesn't affect them that much. Um, and then they basically just make arguments for, they propag- they propagandize their kids to sustain hate and for the inequality. And then they talk about eugenics, like, like there needs to be some sort of overall balance that favors them. And so like, that's the whole point of the movie. Coincidentally, that, it always favors us. Right. Exactly. Just by happenstance. And we're mostly white and old. Which reminds me, there was a thing that I definitely felt and I don't, it's like, I got, I got a little bit of shades of Shyamalan for a sec. And I was like, oh no, don't, no, 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 don't do this. <laughs> because it was a little bit of like when, uh, 
the guy gives him uh, the last cigarette, and he's like, you should be grateful. You have the last cigarette in existence. You're not even enjoying it. And then it really is hard to ignore how it's literally, it turns into Chris Evans lecturing this Korean guy on privilege. Yeah. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Mm. And that's when I also had the thought of like, why isn't Curtis, why is Curtis white? Yeah. Like, well, he's black in the little, show. Yeah. I'm like, this would be a little stronger if like literally Chris Evans and like the guy from uh, Parasite, because he's all, that is the same guy, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Like, Kang, Kang Ho Song. Uh, like, if they literally switched roles, I I mean, <laughs> like, I think it would have actually been a little better, honestly. <laughs> I think a lot of things would have been a little bit better, honestly. But, I mean, that's just me. Um, yeah, you were trying to sell this movie to an American audience. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. No, I know, I know. Yeah, I know. It's not a good reason. I'm just giving. I'm just saying. Also, I hate that. Re- I hate that ghost in the shell bullshit of like, well, we wanted to achieve mass appeal, so clearly, a white American has to be in the in the lead. And I'm like, American white male straight is not a default. Stop acting like it is. This is another thing that's coming over from video games of just like straight white male is not a default. It is just another thing you can be like, stop acting like, well, I mean, if they're not going to be a straight white guy, what are they going to be? I'm like, you decided that that was where we're going to (laughs) start. Like I, uh, I also love that Scarlett Johansson can't escape ghost in the shell. Not only do they make like jokes to Colin Jost on SNL about it. But also, like, people are posting uh, side-by-sides of Black Widow and uh, Shang-Chi and being like, finally, Asian-American representation. God, she should have known. I'm sorry. She should have known better. I'm oh, She should have known better. And yeah. her comments afterward did not help. And I'm just like, no. No, you need to be better than this. <laughs> it's not because Scarlett's special or anything. I would have said this about any actress in Hollywood. I'm just like... Be better. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, come on. That's the most obvious thing in the world. That Ghost in the Shell, an anime. Hello, should star at what? Dragon Ball Evolution. What? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hello. That'll go in the bad movie tournament that we'll do someday. Honestly, from the stuff that I've seen of it, it's just it's what it's what Avatar. It's what people think Last Airbender is, which is more so than like it. Dragon Ball Evolution seems to just more so hurt if you're a diehard Dragon Ball fan. Like, not to say that it's a good movie on its own merit. Oh, no, it's bad. But it's not like one of the worst movies ever made bad. (laughs) It's only that level of bad if you love Dragon Ball. Whereas The Last Airbender is like, no, yeah, it's salt in the wound that they took an amazing thing and made it awful. But it's just also just bad on its own merits because it's shot terribly and directed terribly and written terribly and edited. Everything about it is terrible. 
Uh, <laughs> oh, All right. fucking God. Anything else to say about Snowpiercer? Uh, probably, but I can't. You know, this always happens where we film and I think I got everything out and inevitably I'm like, oh, I didn't mention this, but I can't think of it right now. So. All right, let's move on to the big hitter. Um, obviously, this is going to be like heavy spoiler filled. And this is a movie that like even a year after I'm like, I'm I'm hesitant to even say like, fuck, fuck your spoilers. Because like, but it's a pretty big spoiler. Like we you, it is it will be in the title that we are talking about Snowpiercer and Parasite. Don't listen to a thing talking yeah. about a movie you don't want to be spoiled on. It's one thing if, like, yeah, I just mentioned Last Airbender. It's one thing if it it's not in the title and we spoil it. Then yeah, like that's kind of uh, that's kind of shitty. I'm sorry, but like or like how people on Disney Plus shows insist on making headlines with spoilers in them. Fucking a. What that Luke Skywalker, what that Luke Skywalker cameo says about. Meanwhile, I haven't even watched a single episode of Mandalorian. I'm just like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> so Parasite. Um, I really, really love this movie. I think that the from the writing to the cinematography, like the, the nuggets get laid out so nicely. And I think that like, despite the like brutality of some of it, um, it, it lands, it sticks, it's landing a lot. I think it might be a little long. Um, you know, I think that like, especially in the later half, like tension builds so much over so many things that, that just kind of like interject themselves into the story to make it more complicated that like in the final, like resolution of the movie, when they buy the house, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm tired. Can we finish please? But beyond that, I really, really like this movie. This is a movie that I could never love. Um, Oof, okay. Well, I mean, that's why I mentioned what I did at the beginning, which is just like, these movies are fighting an uphill battle. I will, like, these types of movies that are more serious, and even this one has more of a sense of humor than than Snowpiercer. It's quirkier, but it's also a thing of, like, it just has that vibe of like it's a it's slower, it's more methodical. It's for wrestling fans, this is like movies like this are like Randy Orton. And it's just like I mean, he wrestles a very methodical pace, I'll give you that. Um and it's just it's just like it would ne- like it has a ceiling for me. It will never pass a certain point in my love for it. Just like how horror movies will kind of never really pass a certain point of love for me because it's just, I just have a natural, it just, it won't, it will never be a movie that I go back and rewatch and I just, I love. Like movies like this are one and dones for me. I'm like, I watch it one time, I absorb it and don't ask me to watch it again because I just, I have no, I have no real reason to watch it again because it's not, that's my that's why I said earlier these movies aren't really fun. So they're not movies that have a lot of rewatchability for me and those are the movies I tend to like more, the movies that I can come back to and revisit and you know have all those memories come back and yada yada yada. Um So so but, like nostalgia and all that stuff aside, did you like it for the one watch you will ever do? No, I wasn't cuz I wasn't even thinking of nostalgia when I said that cuz I was thinking of like Studio Ghibli films when I said that. Right. And like, I only watched Studio Ghibli, Ghibli films like 
two or three years ago. So it is not nostalgia. Um, but I was going to say, with all that said, like, I, I watch movies like this and I can objectively still go like, yeah, it is well made. Uh, I would say, yeah, I echo your sentiment of like, for the first chunk, it's it actually is very well paced. Um, doesn't really linger um, and gets points across very efficiently. Uh, I thought they did a really good job of endearing us to this family very quickly and doing what I always beg movies to do. They do a lot of show, don't tell. Yeah. They don't really have scenes of like, oh, you know, your sister is this and, you know, oh, our son is this. Like, there's just scenes where they are just that. There are there are scenes where the son is very quick on his feet and very quick witted and, you know, a good actor. And yeah, they're all like they're all inherently like very intelligent. They have just no opportunity. Yeah, it's a movie. It's a movie of a family of con artists. But even then, not like, to say that like they're only con artists because they have to. Be. Right. Yeah. I was going to say something to that effect. Like, it's not even like, you know, it's not. Ocean. It's not even like it's like. Well, I mean, it's a little low. <laughs> All right, but it, but it's not it's like a a, oh, I'm world class. I'm world class in my manipulations. It's like, hi, we're just trying to get by. So like, fucking like okay, yeah. that guy. Who cares? I will say, I will say, it's not like they do it for the thrill or anything. Right. Yeah, they do it because they have to. But they're also damn good at it, and they know mm-hmm. they're damn good at it. And there's a likability to that. There is a natural likability to I know I'm the shit, so I'm gonna just be the shit now. Like, there's just something naturally likable about that affable if you will uh <laughs> the minister's um, cat is an affable cat the minister's cat is a bowling cat um sorry <laughs> that's a very specific reference anyway um uh, so yeah, but yeah it's just like uh you know the I, I, I think that it's like it's so well like stacked. So like I'm I think we should go go through this one as well. So you have this family. They're in deep poverty. They live in a they live in a sub basement. They can't get Wi Fi. They don't pay for it. They do it from cafes. Um, they're just barely trying to make it by. Off they have like the fumigator outside just li- like leak into their house to get rid of their bugs. They are destitute. And an old friend comes by, offers the son to replace him as a tutor for this rich family. He goes in with a fake identity, fake credentials, and cons his way into, you know, being the teacher. And then slowly but surely, other things start popping up. One, one other thing pops up for a tutor for the son, for the other son in the family that he gets his sister to fake an identity for. And then they figure out, oh, we can get the driver fired and then get dad hired as the driver with a fake identity. And then eventually they go all the way up to getting the housekeeper fired for, for something and then... Uh, replacing the mom and so now they all have a station in this house pretending to be people who don't know each other or aren't related um and that's where the term like parasite kind of comes from where it's like they're leeching off this family uh, because yeah exactly they're half the parasite um and the mom is just so simple and the dad's absent-minded and and can be swayed by vanity into accepting all these things at face value because the the wife is just a trophy wife who's drugged out half the time and I, I, I just have to laugh my ass off at all the things about the son. Like, yes, the son of the Park family, the rich family, has real trauma that we figure out later. But, like, the idea that it's like, ah, he's a genius. It's like, he's a fucking kid. He's a fucking kid doodling 
You fucking piece of shit rich parents. You have the luxury of thinking your son is brilliant, you fucks. I mean, it's very telling that when, even while bullshitting, when um, Jessica, quote-unquote, uh, when Jessica tells her uh, that, you know... Her son's oh, like, schizophrenic. Yeah, there is this specific thing that's wrong with your son. And the mom starts, like, crying. And you can tell it's not a cry of empathy. It's a cry, it's a cry of, of humiliation. oh, no, my son is broken. Right. I can't have a broken son. Ugh. And I just love how, how our protagonist family plays to the exact psychosis of rich people of fear and vanity where it's like the, the they fake tuberculosis with a peach allergy on the original housekeeper and then so suddenly they have to keep everything airtight and not humiliate anybody by saying their housekeeper had tuberculosis but they must get her out of there or they claim the son has schizophrenia or uh the way they get uh you know the replacement in where it's like this is a subscription service for rich people called the care that you can get someone through to appeal to the dad uh, of the rich family. And I'm just like, oh God, it's so fucking, it's so satisfying for me to be, cause I like, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, my family does, does well. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm super rich, uber rich, like uh, to the point where I'm not having to worry about any of these things. Oh, Jesus, something just fell on my desk. Um, but like, I know rich people. And so like, it just was so satisfying to be like, yeah, that's how they fucking are. Everything's a drama with them. Everything is so, like catastrophic if anything's out of place and it's so satisfying to hear so to see somebody prey on that i loved that anyway moving on for the rest of the movie so one one weekend the fan the rich family the park family goes away for the son's birthday because he's a boy scout and they want to camp camp for him it ends up storming which we'll come back later but the 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 protagonist family decides to live it up in the house because they can and that's when the twist happens is that the old housekeeper comes back and it turns out there's a secret hatch in the basement where her husband, who is wanted by loan sharks, has been living for like five years. Um, and she's been secretly sneaking food down to him because they are just as destitute and people will kill them if they find him. And so now our protagonist family is like, fuck, we can't let anyone find out about this and we can't let. And then the the old housekeeper finds out about the family and that they're a family and not just random workers. And it all becomes this whole underclass power struggle thing of like, who is going to come out the other end with the rights to be the, the attachment to this rich family and the, and the revenue. Um, and they blackmail them for a while until finally the next escalation of twist is that the family's coming home because it's raining and they'll be home in eight minutes so they have to brutally shove these two uh, destitute, this destitute couple down back in the bunker and clean up everything they trashed and hide everything and hide themselves while this family is parading around the house. And then there's kind of an elongated scene that they don't need, but it, it does some good thematic stuff where the husband and wife of the rich family are like basically having like second base on the couch while watching their son camp out in the yard. Um, and they start talking shit about the family, about how they smell like old people and fish while they're literally like under the table in front of them. Um, and the things where it's like, you know, there's that constant theme where the Mr. Park constantly is talking about, ah, well, I love what they do for us, but they should never cross the line. And he constantly, he says cross the line maybe seven times in this film. And it's very much telling of like the whole, like, 
I love what you do for me. You're really great. I'm going to treat you as close to family as I can, but don't you ever assume you're equal to me. Um, and it, that's something that like, I think that's probably one of the most subtle lines of the entire film is that, is that constant cross the line narrative. Um, and so finally they end up sneaking out. They find that their home has been destroyed by this rain and flood, absolutely decimated. Everything's flooded. They have to live in a homeless shelter overnight. And then they're called in for the son's new birthday on the nice day with all of the, uh, you know, all of the neighbors and mutual friends celebrating him. And the kid has fascination with American with Native Americans. And so the dad of our protagonist family has to essentially pose with Mr. Park as a bad Native American for this whole little show and dance with the son. Well, the husband of the housekeeper gets out and essentially goes on a killing spree and wants to kill everybody he can find of our protagonist family ends up killing the sister, uh, killing or no, uh, wounding the mother, uh, bashing the son's head in with uh, the prosperity stone. That's been a thematic thing throughout the whole movie. Um, the son ends up having a little bit of brain damage um, and everything gets blamed on the dad. And meanwhile, the rich people are just trying to get out of there. They don't care about the poor people. They just want to get the fuck out of there. Um, and so the dad ends up in the bunker for another like four years, five years until the son can get enough money to move him and his mother into the house uh, later and get the dad out of the basement. And that's how and that's the movie Parasite. Congratulations. If you were trying to cut in at any point, I think my headphones did that thing where I can't hear you. So now I can hear you. Uh, there was, I only said one thing when you said the son got his head bashed. I'm like, it seems like that definitely should, oh, have, so killed should him, have killed him, by the way. It so should have killed him. <laughs> the son bashed, get his head bashed. Uh, I was like, he's dead. He's dead. And then when he wakes up in the hospital, I'm like, okay, all right. This is, you could have ended the movie with him, with just showing the dad go back in the bunker and then end the movie. Like you didn't actually have to have like the positive resolution with the Morse code and everything. Um, I mean, I think this is where we slightly differ because you mentioned that it was very satisfying, all the stuff, you know, with them getting a, the, getting one over on the rich people. And it's like, that's kind of the problem. <laughs> it's the problem I have with this movie is that they do a little bit too good of a job making me like the family and then getting stuff over on the rich people. And then it kind of ends with their family in shambles. So it's like... I kind of wanted them to win. That's life. <laughs> it's not surprising. That's I mean, but that's the whole point. You you can't. I don't think you can nail the thematic stuff without it happening that way. Because the the way that it works, like that whole scene in the bushes between Mister Park and Mister and and the dad, is like the whole like he's the dad has just gone through this traumatic ass night. He's fucking tired. He's trying his best to like get his family up. And they're all still in the charade. And Mr. Park's looking at him like, this is a part of your work. So you better fucking smile. And you better fucking do as I say. And it just destroys yeah. any sort of camaraderie or like happiness of the moment. And it's and then on top of that, instead of trying to help the people who are suffering, the dad's just trying to get the car keys. And that's why he dies in the end. And I'm like, yeah, the end point is that the rich will not save you. They do well, not yeah. see you as equals. And so no matter how much opportunity they can give you and how much power they hold, they don't deserve that. Yeah. And so I don't think that I don't think that you can get that same ring to it without 
the circumstances because like the most the most important one of the most important lines of the movie is she's not they're like oh she's so nice and it's like she's nice because she's rich she can afford to be yeah, nice I feel like we're agreeing so I feel like you misunderstood oh me. I, I guess I did <laughs> it sounded like it sounded yeah, like you didn't like the... our protagonists anymore because they no succeeded. the opposite no they didn't succeed what Oh, because because they did so good at job at, at scamming their way in. Yeah, I'm like they. I loved our protagonist so much, and then to see everything kind of crash down around them at the end was just like, I kind of wanted them to get away with it. <laughs> you, oh, you, I, see. I mean, that's what happens when you make our family like this likable. Yeah. I mean, I'm rooting for them, <laughs> and honestly. I'm trying to think like they had a little bit of hubris, but not nearly enough to warrant them like flying too close to the sun and like bringing this on themselves. They do start making some mistakes. Like it's a mistake for all of them to be in the house. Like that's a mistake. Um, well, I mean, wasn't it like the first night that they were gone? I yeah, They were say? only supposed to be gone for one night. Were they, I don't, uh, yeah. I mean, to be fair, I don't think, I don't know if that was like very clearly established. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm in that scene. That's the closest they really get to like, you are pushing this too far. Like the son reading the diary yeah. and them drinking all their booze and, you know, just kind of lounging around and, you know, breaking stuff like that. Yeah, that's like the one time in the entire movie they really fly too close to the sun. So that's why I'm like, and then that's when the shit goes wrong. So that's why I'm like. It'd be different if for a little bit, for like multiple times they were pushing it and then it like causes their own downfall. That's a different type of movie. This is a type of movie is like they're kind of just they inadvertently stumble into this fuckery. And that's what does them in. It's just like the fact that I mean, like, that could have been anybody. Yeah, it could it, really. It's <laughs> the, the thing that ruins it all for them is underclass warfare. It's like fighting amongst yourselves when the real when the real crime is the system like that's that's the that's what ends up destroying. Yeah. The end, which, again, is thematic. But like, I get it. I get that. they. I mean, you could say which I don't know if this is a cultural thing. I don't know if he was supposed to look younger than he is. But like the whole relationship with him and the teenager, I'm just like, no, I don't want it. And that to me is also flying too close. To the yeah, story. I knew that this was going to come up. I mean, it's. It's said or I, excuse me, I don't know. It might be implied. I think he's 19, she's 17, but even then, that's still not legal. I know. It's like, well, I mean, that's by our legal. Um, so it's a thing of, like, yeah, I think he's not that long out of high school, and she's about to graduate the next year. So it's, yeah, it is weird. It, I will say that. It is just weird. If not for the age thing, for the tutor thing also. Yeah. like, And she's done this with multiple there's tutors. There's just clearly. many reasons it's weird. And also, like, just no caring for your friend definitely saying, like, hey, I'm really into this girl. I want to ask her yeah. out. There's, like, nothing comes of that. But, I mean, really, the real issue that I have is a selfish, personal issue that just, I mean, it's hard to really enjoy much of the movie after this. Is that I kind of just wish the daughter didn't die. Like, that's fair. 
that was a that's just kind of a downer. It's like I don't know how you keep going after this because like once one of them straight up is murdered, that's a downer. Like holy shit. <laughs> and then also I at the time thought that the son was definitely dead cuz he should have been yeah. dead. Like he should have been dead. <laughs> but so I thought like both the kids, I thought literally all of the family was going to get picked off. And then to not even do that and to have three out of the four of them live is just this weird, unsatisfying, like it bugs my OCD a little bit now of like, why did only one of them die now? And it's like, why her? Like specific, like, because that's where I'm starting to wonder, like, does it make sense thematically that she's the one that died? I don't think so. No, it's definitely not. Like, it feels random and this is where people will start to go like, well, it reflects life. Life is random. And I'm like, but movies aren't life. No. <laughs> That's the thing. Is like, if you want to make a movie that reflects the pure randomness of life, it's going to kind of suck. Like, it's the difference between UFC and WWE. Like, UFC is real fighting. So you may get real pumped about a specific fight and there might be this great story to it and this history between these two people and it lasts 13 seconds. And so, but WWE is based in fiction. Like, so it's supposed to have, it's supposed to have, Vince. It's supposed to have, like, meaningful resolutions to stories and actual buildup and the right people are supposed to win. The right people are supposed to win, Vince. And... (laughs) It's like, you know, between this and Snowpiercer, these are two back-to-back movies where I'm like, Snowpiercer, I kind of got what they were doing, though. Snowpiercer was like, yeah, the two most prominent kids, the offspring, they're the ones that survive, and then it's like, you know, hope for the new world, question mark? You know, and like, whatever. But with this one... It kind of was more on the end of, like, I kind of, if you're going to kill them, any of them, I feel like you kind of need to kill all of them. Yeah. Or, like, some of them die and some of them go to jail. Or don't kill any of them. Because it's more just weird that just the daughters. And I like the daughter. The daughter was one of the more likable characters in an already likable main family cast. So I was just like, I I mean, but she wasn't so likable that it's like, you know, oh, the fallen angel, you know, the best of us died. Like, so it's like this weird in-between of like, I don't. Like the dad would have to die for like the best of us to die. You think the dad's the best one? I think so. Oh, okay. It's certainly not Um, the mom. The mom's a dick. (laughs) (laughs) The mom is just, no, she's a dick too. Yeah. She's the one who says she's nice because she's rich. She's like, she's definitely the kind of person who's like, I don't have the luxury of fucking with you right now. <laughs> I mean, she's not. Yeah, that's one of the better lines in the movie of just like, yeah, that's a point. There's there's a difference. The rich between, can opt out of life. There's a difference between being nice and being kind. They are not kind people. They are only nice out of pleasantries and politeness and tradition. And nothing else. They they don't extend past that. Like you said with the dad, don't cross the line. They don't cross the line either. 
It's not even a, it's a two-way street. They don't cross that line either. They would never. They yeah, would never. It's, not, it's like if these were <laughs> if these were really people who were working for them and they liked them that much, they would never give the son like money for his college. They would never give, you know, they would give they would not do any of that for any of them. So uh ultimately, I would say this is a it's oh god, it's difficult to say because here's the thing. Like Snowpiercer is easier to get through because it's an action movie. I'm not saying yeah. the action scenes are what made it better. Like I got I was able to get through it because it's like it doesn't linger on anything for too long. Like everything is at a consistent like you know we got to kind of keep the pace moving even when we slow things down it's deliberately okay this is the scene where we have to slow things down and then it keeps going uh this was one thing i actually didn't mean to say about snowpiercer i think it's a little bit too much plot and not enough story i agree like a little bit like because we really just the second the movie starts it's just plot 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 it's always wait for it wait for it wait for it (laughs) um next time (laughs) uh and then snowpiercer but like here's the thing snowpiercer is easier for me to watch in one go i didn't really have to pause it like i only really paused because i needed to like for a second and then i was i was back into it so i was never like trying to have an excuse to stop it but I did have that for Parasite, where there are a couple of times I was like, okay, I need, I kind of just need a little bit of a mental break. Just give me a break real quick, and I'll come back. Because uh, it's just that that kind of pacing, that kind of general vibe is just not really what my brain likes to sit through. Um, but then I would easily say Parasite is a better movie than Snowpiercer, though. Like, easily. Yeah. Easily. I think Snow. Uh, sorry, I think Parasite has a better sense of humor. It has more of a personality. Um, I think it's much more subtle in its themes than Snowpiercer is, um, and not because of that, but also in addition to that, I think it's also just better at like nailing its themes. Oh yeah, like I mean, because it it is real life with a twist, and yeah, the characters are likable. The characters are actually characters, like. After a bit, I was able to actually kind of like go, okay, yeah, this is the son. This is the daughter. This is how their personalities kind of are. And I figure that out organically as the story goes on. Whereas Snowpiercer, the characters are chess pieces. Like, that's just how it is. You know, uh, Curtis is like the king and then um, the hacker is the queen. And, uh, well, actually, no, I would say the daughter of the hackers the queen maybe um and then you got like you know the two bishops play chess like the queen's the most important piece who does the most yeah so why would why would the character who really doesn't do anything but follow along be the queen i don't the the daughter of the hacker is the daughter of the hacker is the one that like has those premonitions I would love to play actually, chess with you because if you do, if you misunderstand it this much, it's going to be very. No, easy. it's not that. Okay, don't condescend. But like, <laughs> but like, I'm. That's why initially I was like, oh, the hacker is the queen because you kind of can't do shit without him. That's but right. then I'm also like, yeah, but so many things literally are like. I mean, 
you kind of need her a little bit. You need you need her. And it's really nice to have the dad. It's really nice to have the dad, but you kind of need the uh, the daughter even like also for thematic reasonings, you kind of need her too. Um so that's the only reason I said that. But like the main thing is just that like the characters more so feel like this character is meant to die. This character is meant to die. This character is meant to open this door and then die. This character... And it's just like, I don't really have any attachment to any of these fuckers. <laughs> I don't really care about any of them. Because they don't really have that much of a character. Curtis is the typical stoic leader that doesn't want to be a leader. Like, the second-in-command is the typical second-in-command. He's the typical, like, right hand and you know, the unflinching faithful and also kind of the innocent a little bit. And, like, fucking um, Octavia Spencer is the black one. Uh, and also the mom. Like, yeah, the yeah. desperate mom. Um, so it's like, I mean, it's okay. It's all right. Pretty, I mean, it's it, it, it's good, but I would not say it's great. Uh, whereas Parasite, I would say like, yeah, no, I could tell this was made very lovingly. It's a it's a testament to its craft. A lot of the things are very well done, but as far as like sticking the landing, I don't think it quite does it for me personally. This was never going to be a movie that's like going to be one of my mains. Um. And I knew that going in. I'm not surprised that that's still the case. And I'm not all too broken up about it just because it's like I could still acknowledge that, like, yeah, it did a lot of things really well, though. There are things that could have been there, there are things that they could have done better. But I think for what it is, it has a lot of upsides to it. And I'm not mad at one best movie, best picture. Yeah, no, it, it definitely deserved it. Um, so, I mean, like, you know, I guess the, the thing about this is that, like, you know, this is almost in our, uh, like, one of our, like, you know, director-based episodes, but it's, all, it's also kind of not. Um, you know, it's not quite like what we did with Edgar Wright and Spike Lee, where it's like, you know, I think the thing about Bong Joon-ho is is really about the plots and the themes, more so than, like, cinematography. Like, he's very good at it, and, like, he knows how to line up a shot to make something land. Like, I think that that's why one of the reasons that Parasite lands in so many ways, like, you know, there's a, an obvious reason that that shot of the wife uh, after shopping has her feet up and is on the phone talking about the how great the rain was. And then our, you know, our main our protagonist dad is like, they're like angry about it. Like, that's a meme for a reason, because it's like it's one of those shots that just says everything you need to say about what's going on. Um and so I think that that's, you know, I, I it's more or less when you talk about like what makes Bong Joon-ho movies, it's it's less about something stylistically that he does and more so just about what he decides to talk about. Yeah. And I think his style definitely got uh, much more refined from oh, hell yeah. to Parasite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm so really a... I'm curious. I mean, they keep doing this thing where they want to do American remakes of his stuff on HBO and like TV form. Like there's a there's talks that they're going to do the American equivalent of Parasite in English with like Mark Ruffalo. And I'm like, you don't need it. Like I this was enough. It. I don't want it. Like this was enough for me. Like you don't have to pay like you don't have to placate the American audience who didn't want to watch it for because of subtitles, because also that's just weak. Like because the truth is the subtitles like 
there were times when I looked away. I exa I knew exactly what was happening. And also the dialogue, even when translated into subtitles, is brilliant. Like there, there are times when I'm like, yeah, if this was spoken in English, that's a brilliant line. That's brilliant line, brilliantly delivered. And so like, it's just one of those moments where I was like, that's, that's, that's part of the movie. And that's part of what it should be. Um, I don't think it's, you know, I, I'm sure Bong Joon-ho is not going to say no to the money um, so that he can make more movies. I look forward to seeing, just like with Edgar Wright, I look forward to seeing what's next um, and whether or not it's going to be something that he does like Snowpiercer with a, you know, American production studio and cast, or if he's going to do some more stuff in Korea um, with the same kind of themes. I'm really curious as to what he wants to do. Yeah. So, um... I think I, I'm I'm pretty much done. Uh, yeah. How about you? No. All right. Back in the so, swing of things. Yeah, we are back. We are back after our like little break. Three weeks since we did anything, and we were both just like, "Oh, how do we do this?" <laughs> I was more, "How do we do this?" Because I moved, so I'm literally in a different space. Yeah. So it was more of like functionally, like, okay. How do I do it? Because the setup I was left with in the new house is not as good <laughs> than it was in the old house. So I was like, I really got to figure out how to do this. <laughs> and yeah, this is the first big thing that I'm recording in this space. So I'm really hoping it sounds okay. I'm really hoping it's... And there's construction on both sides of my house because we moved to like a newly built house in a neighborhood that's still being built. So, like, there is construction constantly. Honestly, that's the movie I want to see by Bong Joon-ho about how, uh, sub like, how suburbs are a complete, like, detriment to economies and uh, the environment. Um, talk to me privately that about I wouldn't that. That I wouldn't mind having an American equivalent. That I wouldn't mind. Yeah, well, because I don't think it's the same in Korea. It's not the same in many countries. Suburbs are very... A very American thing. American family insurance. Because like, it's, because it's like it's not the equivalent in places like the UK <laughs> or or like France or anything like that. Like there are towns in uh, in like European countries. Like and then there are like cities in Asia. Um, and America is the only place where it's like, oh, we have, you have the city, and then you have this like vague line as to where like most cities turn into suburbs. Um, and uh, do your research, people. They're actually uh, cost more money than they save, and they more or less exist so that people can feel like they are uh, upper middle class and get away from black people. So it always comes back to it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I mean, didn't make it. I'm I just trying to change it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, tune in uh, next week and the week after. We're going to still do more. Uh, Asian content, uh, celebrating it, talking, discussing it, you know, and at times critiquing it. Um, it's good to be back. Uh, this season, I could tell you right now, it's not going to be as long as the previous season. Uh, that's because we came up with the idea of, of doing seasons kind of late. And when we needed to take the break came at not the best time also. So... Honestly, the only reason we're even doing July is because it would be weird to just do May and June. <laughs> yeah. And we can at least do something Fourth of July really, but I don't want I don't wanna do America. No, fuck America. Yeah. I would do like my version of a Fourth of July episode is let's shit on the Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That makes sense. 
That's paid for by the military. <laughs> Michael Bay got a shitload of money from the military for that movie. <laughs> yep. Uh... <laughs> All right. So, uh... I guess that does it for this episode. What did you all think? Let us know on our social medias on Twitter and Instagram at Red Team Pod. We are officially back. We're rolling for a little while, and then we're going to be coming back bigger, badder, better, and redder than ever uh, after that. Um, Trev Bev, any lasting thoughts? You finally got your episode? Eat the rich. (laughs) I mean... Uh, yeah. So, until next time, I've been TJ Patrick. I'm Trevor Catalano. And, uh, fuck racism. <laughs>